بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وأفضل الصلاة وأتم التسليم على سيدنا محمد الصادق الأمين وعلى آله وصحبه ومن استنى بسنته إلى يوم الدين اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا من فضلك علما وتعليما وفقا في الدين يا رب العالمين Alhamdulillah. So we began last week with Module 9. And Module 9 is about the halal and the haram. And in last week's class, we would call it 9.0. And basically we covered the muqaddimat or the introductory matters that pertain to the halal and the haram. We looked at eight principles for understanding the nature of halal and haram and who has the right of legislation and the nature of the prohibitions and how they are prohibited due to their impurity and harm and so on. We won't go through all of those over again. We just have them here in the slide. These eight principles are very important to understand as we apply them to all of the things we learn that are haram. So we're now at 9.1. And 9.1 is pertaining to the ears. What is haram for the ears? So we mentioned that there will be uh, 9.2 for the eyes, 9.3 for the tongue, 9.4 for the other limbs. So every limb will have its own category, its own class looking at the muharramat, the haram things particular to it. So tonight we're looking at the muharramat, maharam of the ear. And next week we'll do the prohibitions of the eyes. And then we'll stop for Ramadan. And after Ramadan we go to the maharam al-lisan, the prohibitions of the tongue insha'Allah ta'ala. So before we begin looking at these things, we want to just introduce the idea of the blessings of eyes and the blessings of ears. The eyes and the ears are mentioned in the Qur'an repeatedly. When you go from the beginning to the end of the Qur'an, you will see many times Allah mentioning the blessings of as-sama' wal-basar, the blessings of hearing and the blessings of sight. Allah mentions them frequently and connects that mention to the rhetorical question, will they not be thankful? Will they not use their intellect? Will they not reflect? And so on and so forth. Many times we see the mention of the ears, as-sama' or the hearing, and the basar, the vision or the sight. So the question here is, which of the two is superior. Okay, let's, let's take a vote. It's not a democracy, but we'll take a vote. If you think that the faculty of sight is superior to hearing, raise your hand. Okay, okay, good, maybe a third. If you think the faculty of hearing is superior, raise your hand. Okay, that's a majority. So the answer is the faculty of hearing is superior to the faculty of sight. And you notice in the Qur'an 
that the hearing is mentioned before the sight. In the sam'a wal absar wal fu'ad, right? Allah Ta'ala says, have we not made for them a sam'a wal absar, right? It's always mentioned before the sight. Another reason why hearing is superior to seeing is that if you are deaf, you can't hear. You can see, but you can't hear. If you are deaf, you are unable to hear the Qur'an. You are unable to hear La ilaha illallah. If you were alive during a time of one of the prophets, you would be unable to hear their message. But if you were blind, but could hear, you could hear everything they have to say. You could hear the recitation of the scripture. So this is one of the reasons why many of the ulama say that the blessing of hearing takes precedence over the blessing of sight. And there's deeper connections to this in civilizations, uh, sedentary civilizations versus nomadic, civil nomadic peoples. We won't go into all of that, but this blessing of the, the auditory blessing will actually take precedence or you'll see it manifest in the latter age when the Dajjal appears. Because how does he trick people? He tricks people through optical illusions, through the sight, through what they see. And the people who refuse to listen to his call will be denied food. And what is their sustenance? The hadith in Sahih Muslim says that their sustenance when they're denied food from the Dajjal is dhikr and dhikr is auditory it is verbal but it is also auditory it is heard so whether it's the blessing of sight or the blessing of hearing either way we say one takes precedence over the other but either way using the blessing of sight or using the blessing of hearing for something that is haram is a form of ingratitude for that blessing Gratitude for the blessing of hearing and sight entails using those blessings for what is wholesome and halal. So now we come to some good usages of the ears before we get into the muharramat. So the faculty of hearing is used for all sorts of things. You can use it to listen to the Quran, to listen to the advice of people or religious reminders the remembrance of Allah Ta'ala, good poetry and qasaid, uh, religious courses and lessons. These are all explicitly religious in nature, but you can also use the ears for other beneficial ways that aren't necessarily religious, such as listening to wholesome, beneficial, educational audiobooks or podcasts that are useful and educational, non-religious learning that you listen to, Anything that is halal, anything that is wholesome and beneficial, you can use your ears for that, and that is a good usage for the ears. But as we mentioned previously, this section on the halal and haram focuses mostly on the haram, because the, har the halal is the default, so we don't need to list out everything that's halal. That's the default. We have to list the things that are haram, leaving the halal as the default setting. And that brings us to our topic for tonight. Music. There are a few muharramat connected with the ear. 
but none of them is as controversial and as detailed and thorny as the issue of music. You notice in the slide there's a question mark. And there's a reason for that question mark, as you'll see tonight. Music has a very, very long history, and it's not the purpose of this class to go through the history of music, but we will mention a couple of points made in the academic literature studying music. In ancient Greco-Roman culture, they believed that music penetrated the body and the mind, bringing it into equilibrium. It was a science. And you find later on in history, during the Romantic era in Europe, they perceived music as a double-edged sword. And even earlier Greek philosophers had the same idea, that music had this ability to reset the balance within a person, but if used improperly, it also had the ability to disturb a person's equilibrium and upset the balance and create emotional turmoil. That was a belief held even by the early Greeks. So they believe that it had curative powers and also the ability to cause mental disorders. And in today's time, we have a lot of research going into the effects of music, measuring brain waves. And through some of these uh, studies, they find that parts of the brain that show an increase in activity when music is played include areas such as the hypothalamus, responsible for maintaining stress hormones, the hippocampus, which is for emotional regulation. And I'm putting all this out here in the beginning just to tell you that music has always been in, uh, something within human history. And from the earliest times until today, people have recognized that it, ha it is something of a double-edged sword. It does have certain abilities to reestablish equilibrium in the body through the usage of, of, of certain melodies and models, but it could also be misused. And this has nothing to do with whether music is halal or haram. We're just looking at it from a historical perspective. Now, you, you know, in internet slang, you have the TL semicolon DR. What does that mean? Too long, didn't read. So what I'll do, because this class is a bit detailed tonight, I'm going to give you the executive summary, which means that if you, I hope you don't do it, but if you were to just go through these points on this slide, you could stand up and leave and you'll be okay. You'll be good to go. I want to give it to you now, just so it's clear. The executive summary on the ruling of music. According to the majority view, and by majority we mean the jumhur, the, the standard position within each of the four legal schools of Sunni Islam, that's what we call the majority view, uh, music is prohibited with the exception of singing that does not contain any external illicit factors, which we'll talk about. That's the standard view. And the standard view within the four schools is that it is prohibited to listen to wind and string instruments, with or without singing. So wind instruments like a flute, string instrument like a guitar, or an oud, and so on. With or without singing, that is the standard view. And the only exception to that general prohibition is the drum, the, the duff. The, the duff drum, 
that we know we're familiar with, that is an exception. But even in that, some of the ulama took a very stringent view, even with that, and said it's only for weddings. But the majority say it's permissible for other times and occasions. Singing by itself that does not accompany musical instruments is generally seen as permissible as long as the lyrics and content is permissible. So a person sings a song, an a cappella, and the lyrics are okay. That is generally seen as permissible, more or less. Now, scholars in the past did differ on the ruling on music. A minority of ulama permitted listening to wind and string instruments with or without singing, but only if the lyrics were not immoral. And only if it's unaccompanied by anything haram. And this is an important point we're going to come back to later on. So with respect to this difference of opinion, could we acknowledge that the majority view wind and stringed instruments as haram? That is the standard view within the four schools. But there is a difference of opinion within individuals, within those four schools, and outside of those four schools. And with respect to that ikhtiraf, that difference of opinion, we recognize it, while we also recognize the importance of caution. Because if you say that you're going to take the minority view, because you're convinced by it, there's a very short distance between saying wind and stringed instruments, music is halal with those caveats, and listening to utter garbage. It's a very short distance. Because a person can start off with just listening to, I don't know, classical music, right? There's wind and string instruments, there's no lyrics really, so no problem there. But then after a while they go deeper and deeper into music, and before you know it they're listening to Cardi B, right? It's a very short distance between Classical music and Cardi B. I know how that sounds. Um, okay. So what I want to do tonight, because some Muslims listen to music, and some do not. Some are very strict. Some are very lenient. Some are lenient, but they're within the bounds of those who believed it was permissible. So what I want to do is present to you the basic arguments of those who considered wind and stringed instruments, music as a whole, to be haram. And then I want to present to you the minority view, where they're coming from, and how each side has answered the other, and then come to a conclusion. Ultimately, you as a Muslim will make your own decision, and inshallah you make a good decision, and one that is based on seeking the pleasure of Allah, and, but it's good to be informed about the nature of the difference. Now the majority, the majority of the ulama, their evidence for the prohibition of music, and when I say music here, automatically think wind and stringed instruments, right? So you could think of classical music, you could think of uh, any form of music that we typically think of as music, right? 
the majority of the ulama, those who say that music is haram, uh, one of the evidences they use is the verse of the Quran where Allah Ta'ala says, وَمِنَ النَّاسِ مَنْ يَشْتَرِي لَهْوَ الْحَدِيثِ لِيُضِلَّ عَنْ سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ بِغَيْرِ عِلْمٍ وَيَتَّخِذَهَا هُزُوَا أُولَٰئِكَ لَهُمْ عَذَابٌ مُهِينٌ Allah Ta'ala says, and of the people is he who buys the amusement of speech, لَهْوَ الْحَدِيثِ to mislead others from the way of Allah without knowledge and who takes it in ridicule. Those will have a humiliating punishment. What's the operative phrase here in the verse? Lahwal hadith. That's the phrase. Lahwal hadith basically means speech of amusement. So it doesn't literally say ma'azif or musiqa or any of these words that we use for music. It says lahwal hadith. However, and this verse was revealed in Mecca. However, Ibn Abbas, who wasn't even he wasn't even alive when the verse was revealed. He interpreted it by saying that it is this amusement is singing and the like. That is an athar from Ibn Abbas. It's Sahih. They use this. Now for the Sunnah, those who prohibit music, they have a, a number of hadith that they use as a proof. I'm just summarizing using a couple of them or the most popular. Probably the most commonly used hadith used to prove that music is haram is the hadith found in Bukhari in which it is said that the Prophet ﷺ said, from among my followers there will be some people who will consider fornication, the wearing of silk, the drinking of alcoholic drinks, and the use of musical instruments as lawful. This is explicit, isn't it? Because the, the Arabic says ma'azif. This is explicit, way more explicit than the ayah we just cited. Now this is recorded by Imam al-Bukhari. However, if you go to the Sahih, you'll notice that it is not a standard hadith that's arranged along with the other hadith. It's actually a hadith mu'allaq, which means it's within the chapter heading preceding other hadith. Those are a different category of hadith in Bukhari Sahih. And it's mu'allaq, and we'll explain that later what it means. But mu'allaq basically means there's one or more people omitted from the chain. He's not citing it as a hadith in the list of hadith that fit a very strict criteria that he established for his Sahih collection. It's mu'allaq. And you know, that controversy is a part of the back and forth. You know, if it's an evidence, it's in Bukhari, but it's Mu'allaq. As we'll, we'll get to that. But that's an evidence they use. Uh, another hadith in Tirmidhi mentions that in this ummah there will be uh, this collapsing of the earth, khasf, uh, maskh, transformation, and qath, pelting with stones. Different punishments for the sins of Muslims to get them to return to Allah. And a man among the Muslims said, Ya Rasulullah, when is that? When shall these punishments occur? And the Prophet ﷺ said, When singing slave girls, music, and drinking intoxicants spread. So this is a hadith used as evidence that musical instruments are haram. The 
majority position also uses statements of some of the Sahaba. Among the most explicit statements is the statement of Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma, who says, "Adufu haram wal maazifu haram wal kubatu haram wal mizmaru haram." The duf, the string, stringed instruments, drums, and the flute is haram. Very blanket. And this is an athar recorded by Bayhaqi. And there's a few like these. I'm only giving you one or two here for the sake of time. So we come now to the second group. The second group, they argue that strings and wind instruments are not haram in and of themselves. And what is haram is the other things that happen alongside listening to music. So when they're all combined, you have this really haram activity, part of which includes musical instruments, but it also includes other things. And they cite different hadith which indicate that either singing or possibly musical instruments were played in the presence of the Prophet ﷺ, and he did not disapprove. And his uh, silence would be considered a tacit approval. But they're not clear. They don't clearly say instruments. They indicate singing and the like. So we have this hadith in Bukhari from Sayyidah Aisha radiallahu anha. And she tells us that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam came to my apartment while there were two girls with me singing the song of the battle of Bu'ayth, one of the battle songs of Jahiliyyah. He lay down on the bed and turned away his face. Then came Abu Bakr and he scolded me and said, Oh, this musical instrument of the devil in the house of the Messenger of Allah وسلم, so Abu Bakr disapproves. Yet, she says, the Messenger of Allah وسلم, turned toward him and said, Leave them alone. So that indicates tacit approval. Approval. He told him to leave them alone. That is used as a proof. We have another hadith in Bukhari where Sayyidah Aisha says uh, that the Prophet ﷺ says, Ya Aisha, did you not have any lahu? There's that word again, lahu, which earlier was translated as what? Amusement, right. Vain speech is sometimes used. Uh, vain speech, amusement. She, he, he asked, did you not have any lahu, entertainment, music and singing? For the Ansar love that, they love lahu. Now obviously the word lahu here is multivalent, it has multiple meanings. So it's not explicitly uh, permitting or using the word for musical instruments. But if the word lahu means musical instruments in the Quran, what do you do with this hadith? Right? So you see the complexity going on. Uh, group two, those who permitted, they also mention a hadith recorded by Tabarani from Amr bin Sa'ad, who says, I approached Qarada Abi Mas'ud ibn Ka'ab and Thabit ibn Zayd when, they, when there were female slaves beating drums and singing. And I said to them, You are the companions of the Prophet. It's as if he's disapproving of them doing this. And they said, singing is permitted for us during marriage ceremonies. So this is a statement of a, of, of a Sahabi. 
uh, in the context of listening to beating drums and singing and so on. Now, another narration cited by Imam al-Shawkani, who was a later, later scholar who uh, argued strongly for the second opinion, he, he cites from uh, al-Imam Abu al-Mansur uh, al-Baghdadi, who says in his writing on music that Abdullah bin Jafar did not see anything wrong in singing, and he used to compose melodies to his slave girls and listen to their music. And this happened during the era of Amirul Mu'minin Ali ibn Abi Talib. So it's not explicit, but it, it indicates that that was a common practice. Whether it's listening to uh, people sing while beating drums or possibly using musical instruments along with that, there are some narrations that point to this being common, especially in Medina. Now this, we looked at group one and group two, and you know, it's, here, here's the, this is how this works. If, if you get a scholar who is strongly in support of the view of the majority, and they argued the case for the majority position, they would convince you. They would convince you because they have the tools. And if you sat in front of a scholar who argued the second position, I'm sure they could also convince you because both of them have strong arguments to make for their respective position. Those who say music is haram, mutlaqan, they have a strong argument. Those who say that it's not absolutely haram, there are some halal forms, they also have a strong argument. And it's really not for ordinary everyday Muslims to decide who's right and who's wrong in those higher level discussions. But in the name of uh, presenting both sides, we look at what each say. So each of these scholars have their arguments and counter arguments to each other. Those who made mu declared music to be haram, they cite that athar from Ibn Abbas, who says that the lahu al-hadith refers to music. And this is mentioned by Tabari, Ibn Kathir, and several others. They also cite many, many hadith, the most famous of which is the hadith in Bukhari, the hadith that is mu'allaq, that's a hanging hadith where one or more of the, the narrators are omitted from the chain. It's only mentioned in the chapter heading, the bab itself. It's not actually mentioned as one of the hadith in the collection. They mention that hadith. Some of them even cite ijma'a. Some of them have even cited consensus that music is haram. Ibn Rajab al-Hambari did that. He believed that there is ijma'a, that music is haram. Now those who permitted it, they argued that there is not a single verse in the Qur'an that decisively and clearly proves that music is haram. The word lahu used in that verse, lahu al-hadith, is hamalatu awju. It's multivalent. It has several different meanings, some of which are positive, some of which are negative. And when you look at the verse which was revealed in Mecca, it's not addressing the Muslims, it's actually addressing the idol worshippers. 
and it is about those who mocked the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So they purchased vain talk. So that could be poets reciting poetry, attacking Islam, or it could be other forms. And the purpose of that was to mislead others away from the path of Allah. So if you have lahul hadith for leading people astray from the path of Allah, that would be kufr itself, right? Not your ordinary idle talk that is for relaxation, your idle talk that is just general conversation. If you're spending time with your friend, you're just relaxing and you're talking about, I don't know, the football game. That is technically lahul hadith too. It has no real purpose behind it. It's just for relaxation. You're talking with your friend about the football game. No one's, no one's saying that that's haram. So lahul hadith has meanings subsumed under it which are haram and meanings which could be halal. So that verse by itself was not decisive enough to establish that this thing is haram, which is a very heavy word. Those scholars who permitted music also say that these statements of the Sahaba, where they prohibited music, these statements are not uh, binding because there is no consensus, there's no ijma'a that قول الصحابي hujja that the statement of a sahabi is a legal proof in sharia. That's a matter that's differed over among the usulis. And number two, they say, if you're going to, pull, if you're going to use statements of sahaba, well, we have those other statements, don't we? Where other sahaba said things which indicate they listened to some forms of music. Therefore, if it's just about presenting the, the statements of Sahaba, we have conflicting views among the Sahaba. If you have five, five sayings of the Sahaba prohibiting music, and five of them either listening to it or saying it's okay, you have a conflict here. So one cannot outweigh the other. There has to be more. And we, we have other narrations where they permitted it. And they say... Uh, many of these scholars who permitted music, they critiqued the chains of the hadith that seemed to prohibit music. Ibn Hazm was famous for this. Uh, Imam al-Ghazali as well. Uh, Ibn al-Nahwi, al-Qadi Abu Bakr, Ibn al-Arabi, al-Maliki, Ibn al-Tahir, al-Shawkani, and the, late Hana, the later, latter, uh, Ottoman, Sheikh Abdul Ghani, al-Nabulusi. They have authored books where they argued very strongly in favor of this minority position. And they say that all of the hadith which prohibit music have in their chains of narrations different problems. Meaning you cannot, decide, you cannot rule that they are uh, completely authentic and decisive. That was their argument. And... They have other arguments as well. So because of this debate about the chains of transmission, the minority position said that you can't make this emphatic judgment that music is absolutely haram. And then they make this point that I alluded to earlier. They said that when you look at those hadith which prohibit music, you always see 
that there are other things mentioned alongside the music. So the hadith that mention uh, the Mu'allaq hadith in Bukhari, does it mention music by itself? No. It mentions wearing silk garments and drinking wine and so on. All of the hadith that prohibit music are mentioning these other things in conjunction with the music. So those who took the minority view said, what is haram is this total picture, right? So if you take the music out of that picture on its own, the music in itself with these instruments wouldn't necessarily be haram if the lyrics were wholesome. But if you combine that with drinking alcohol, with other haram things, with dancing girls, you know, all of that, then the whole picture is haram. Why do they argue this way? Well, it's because that's how music used to be before recordings. We have recordings going back to the, the late 1800s. If you go to the culture of music prior to recordings of music that were sold for people to listen to in their homes, music as a culture was always a public affair. It was done publicly. There was uh, often alcohol involved and inappropriate dancing and gender interaction. These things were often uh, joined together with the act of listening to music. So those scholars who argue the minority position say, those hadith are mentioning all of these together, right? Wearing silk is haram for men, halal for women. Drinking wine is haram for everyone. But the music itself, this is where the scholars are debating and they say that if you take the listening of music outside of that, then it wouldn't necessarily be haram unless the lyrics were immoral or other immoral activities were taking place. That's their argument, the total package. And they say that this claim that there's ijma'a is false because there are several statements from their ulama across the centuries who permitted music. And Ibn Rajab is coming much later. He comes after those ulama who cited positions permitting music. So his citing ijma'ak does not overrule prior views from other scholars. So that's the gist of the argument of those who permitted it. And we're going to put the two together and kind of give you a conclusion at the end. Now I want to draw your attention to the distinction between uh, ma'azif, as in musical instruments, particularly wind and string instruments, and ghina, right, which is singing, or taghani. Singing is using a melodious voice with or without instruments. So for our purposes, we want to look at singing on its own without instruments. What is the ruling on that in the sharia? Singing a melodious tune, singing a song that does not contain impermissible lyrics is generally permissible. If you sing just some general poem or qasida, you're singing a song. If you recite the burda, it's a qasida. If you recite banat su'ad, you don't really sing that. But if you sing any of these odes, or a nat, or something in English, it's a song, it's something sung with a melodious voice. As long as the lyrics are halal, 
That is generally halal. If the content entails the dhikr of Allah and it's a reminder to good, not only is it halal, it's praiseworthy. As long as it does not distract from religious obligations. You know, because there cannot be this muzahama. If you say, okay, I'm going to sing a song uh, in praise of the Prophet ﷺ. Beautiful, jameel. But you're not going to sing the song to the point where you're missing the salat. Right? There can't be a muzahama where this thing is crowding out something that is more important in that moment. So as long as it's not crowding out anything, it's good. If the person is singing a song without instruments and the lyrics are haram, then listening to that is haram. And that is based on the general principle, which really applies to everything in this section. If it is haram to say, it is haram to listen to without there being a shar'i, legally countenance need. If it's haram to say, it's haram to listen to unless you have a shar'i, a legally countenanced reason to listen to it. Right, that's serving some objective that is supported in the sacred law. So let's look at some examples. Uh, words that contain elements of disbelief, sin, corruption, or glorify any of these. Listening to that is haram with or without musical instruments. Regardless of the, dis- of the difference of opinion about musical instruments. If the singing stirs up Haram desires for the opposite gender, it's haram to listen to, with or without musical instruments. If the gathering in which the singing takes place has illicit actions, such as drinking alcohol or impermissible gender interactions, then it's haram. And even if the lyrics were halal, it's not, hal- it's not halal to be in that environment and be a part of that activity. If singing is free of all of these haram elements and does not distract one away from their more important religious obligations, it is permissible, especially if it has wise and beneficial wisdom imparted in the lyrics. So this is not looking at the issue of wind and string instruments. We're just looking at the words and what is said in the songs. So I want to wrap this up. Is the difference of opinion about music between the the jamhur, the majority, and the minority a legitimate difference of opinion? Is it khiraf mu'tabar? It is. It is a khiraf mu'tabar. It is a well-considered difference of opinion. It is a valid difference of opinion. The difference of opinion, however, is limited to listening to wind and string instruments and singing that has either good lyrics or morally neutral lyrics. So a good example is, just think of some nasheed that has nice lyrics. And it has a flute, and it has a drum, and it has an oud, and all of these things are playing at the same time. No one's going to argue about the content of the lyrics. They're good. Those who take the minority view would consider that halal. There is no difference of opinion, however, 
There is no khilaf, no difference of opinion, valid or invalid, there's nothing. No khilaf, aslan, that listening to immoral music is haram. So as a Muslim, you can't take the minority view and say, I take the view of Ibn Hazm and Ghazali and uh, Sheikh Nabulusi, and I listen to uh, <laughs> I, I was trying to think of someone else besides her. Uh, there you go, <laughs> DJ Khalid, Hadahullah. Right? Uh, right, you can't use that argument to justify listening to those types of musicians. Right? You just can't. Because the lyrical content is pure degeneracy. It is pure corruption. Right? So due to this difference of opinion that we consider valid, that means that if you want to take the stricter view, and by all means take the stricter view, if you take the stricter view, however, there is no obligation on you to command the good and forbid the evil on the matter of listening to musical instruments with or without permissible lyrics. You don't have an obligation to command the good and forbid the evil here. Why? Because commanding the good and forbidding the evil only take place in matters that are haram bil ijma'ah, with consensus. There's no ijma'ah here. Which means that if a person is listening to classical music, you, you don't need to go up to them and say, Astaghfirullah, ittaqillah, ya akhi. It's okay. You can give them advice if you want to. You can advise them and say, I think this is the stronger view and you should consider it. That's fine. Nasiha is good. If you're convinced with that, you can do it in a good way. But you're not obligated to command the good and forbid the evil. But what if they're listening to Cardi B? You command the good and forbid the evil there. If you have the ability, because there's no difference of opinion that that is haram. If you took out the musical instruments, it's still haram. That's the basic guideline here. If you take out the instruments and the, the lyrics are still haram, it's haram. The issue isn't so much the, the instruments used, it's the content of the song and the whole culture surrounding it. You can advise people to take a more cautious position, but you can't object to them or judge them negatively if they take the minority view and they limit themselves to the, uh, the halal according to that minority view, which would be instruments with or without halal content in the songs. But if it's... Uh, Little Uzi Vert and these guys. And no, you can condemn that and you can tell them to get that stuff out of their ears. Right? And that leads us to the conclusion, which is modern music as a whole is generally haram. Modern music. What I mean is pop music, the stuff that's just out there floating around. Because if it's not the lyrics, it's the videos. It's... If it's not the lyrics and the videos, it's the lifestyle that they promote. And modern music culture is absolutely surrounded and drowning in degeneracy and promotes values that are absolutely antithetical to Islam. 
If you want to know what the opposite of Islam is, don't do this by the way, but if a person wanted to know or get a visual of what the opposite of Islam is in terms of moral values, they could check out one of those artists and see what they promote and how they present themselves, what they talk about, their music videos and the like. It's antithetical to Islam. And I want to end by, on the music issue, by going back to an, uh, something I said earlier, which is you have to be cautious here in this conversation. Uh, I, I'm not arguing for the minority position, by the way. I, I didn't even share my view. For all you know, I could have the majority view. The point I'm making is Muslims listen to music. And if they're going to do that, let it be within the parameters of halal according to that minority position which is mu'tabar, which is valid. Let them not go out of that. If you want to avoid that because you feel it's doubtful, alhamdulillah, good for you. That's praiseworthy. But if you're surrounded by music and you want something, let it be within the confines of halal according to that minority view, which looks at instruments, not the content of the lyrics. They agree that the content, if it's immoral, is haram to listen to. And I say you have to be cautious with this because if a lot of people, they, they grow up with this strict view, they're told, you know, music is haram, absolutely. And then as they learn more and more about Islam, they come to learn about the minority view. And unfortunately, they embrace it in a way that eventually leads them from going to what would be halal according to the, within the parameters of that view to listening to the haram kind. It becomes this kind of slippery slope. So first, it's all music is haram. And they're very strict about it. There's no, there's no valid difference and they want to argue with people about it. Then they learn that there is a valid difference. And then it goes from listening to some instrumentals and this and that. And before you know it, it's full-blown Cardi B, Degeneracy, Nicki Minaj and the like. This happens. It does become a slippery slope. And music often fills an area that the Quran should fill. It fills an area where dhikr should fill. So you have to be careful even if you do take that minority view, lest it take you through your own internal laxity into the haram. So that is the conclusion on the music issue. There's one more issue though, or maybe a couple other issues, and that is the difference between listening and hearing. So let's say you take the strict view that listening to musical instruments is haram. Or let's say you take the minority view. Let's say you walk into the mall somewhere and who is blasting on the, the speakers, piped in on the speakers, is DJ Khalid. And the lyrics are bad. What do you do in the situation? Are you sinful in that situation? Yes or no? No. Because there is a difference between listening and hearing. Samara versus istimara. Listening versus hearing. The great Shafi'i scholar, Imam Ibn Hajar al-Haytami, he says in his Al-Fatawa al hadithiyah 
that the tahrim, the prohibition of listening to music, uh, and that was his view, uh, is for listening and not hearing. Uh, he says the prohibition is only listening and not just hearing, not with the purpose of listening. And so you walk into the store, you hear it, you don't purposely listen to it, it's just there. You're not sinful for this. He says our ashab, meaning among the shafiris, asserted that if there are forbidden nightclubs in one's neighborhood, which he could not remove, he is not obliged to move away to another accommodation, and he's not sinful by hearing it unintentionally. They explicitly asserted here that a person is sinful by listening to it and not by hearing it. This is important. You know, I mean, ideally you avoid situations or places where you know that's going to be there if you have an alternative. But if you happen to hear stuff piped in, you hear it. You're not actively listening and deriving enjoyment from it and partaking in that, right? Um, and that's it for the issue of music. But is that the only prohibition of the ears? No, there's others. But the others are very, very quick and easy to go through because there's not much controversy surrounding them. So the others include listening to people's private conversations, eavesdropping when you know they wouldn't want you to listen, listening to batil, falsehood, because we mentioned that principle that anything that is haram to speak is haram to listen to unless there is a legally countenanced reason for doing so. There has to be a need, right? A person is complaining to someone who is going to resolve a problem, for instance, or they are refuting something that's false and they have to listen to it to process the argument, you know, things like that. But generally, listening to falsehood is haram just as speaking falsehood is haram and by falsehood here I don't just mean lies I mean bottle in a general sense uh, and lastly willingly listening to a woman's sensual voice with sensual enjoyment and so this is basically similar unless it's uh, if this is someone who's not mahram and they're listening to their voice in that way, purposely to derive pleasure, that would be haram as well. And uh, that is it for the prohibitions of the ears. And inshallah, next week in our final class before Ramadan, we're going to cover the prohibitions of the eyes. So I'll, I'll leave it now for any questions, and I'll be surprised if there's no questions, given the controversial nature of the issue of music. Um, and if you ask me what my view, I didn't share my view, by the way, if you ask me what my view is, I say like the ulama say, Man ana hatta aqul indi aw qultu aw aqul. Who am I that I should say my view? Who am I that I should say as I see it? But if you ask, I do incline to the minority position, but I am very aware of the dangers of that view in the current environment and how it's easy to go from those confines within that view to something that's a gray area, if not outright blameworthy. So you have to be careful. Yes? Two things. Two types. Sometimes before you sleep, like the nature sound, you have to have some kind of like this calming sound. And then there's like spa type of music that's calming. So those two in the background, what's 
those are fine. Yeah. In fact, Imam al-Ghazali in his in his Ihya Ulum al-Din, he has a whole kitab in the collection dedicated to the issue of Samara and the, the question of music and singing. He advocated this minority view. And one of his arguments was if you say that it is haram for a person to sing with a melodious voice, you must also argue that it's haram to listen to birds chirping because they chirp with a melodious tune. So if you listen to that, whether it's real or recorded, it's absolutely fine. As you said, that the water falls on the chirping birds and you know these types of things, permissible. The spa music, yeah. Any other questions? Is a woman singing, uh, listening to a woman singer, same category as a man singing? So those ulama, so you're asking about if the if there's a difference in the ruling between listening to singing done by women versus singing done by men. Those ulama who supported the minority view, some of them said that if the singing is not sensual in nature, then it would also be permissible. Others among them said no. In the interest of blocking the means of temptation, one would not listen. So even, even within that view, there's a, a difference within the view in terms of the, the, the nature of the singing. Is it necessarily sensual or not? You know, that's a question... You know, for some that it may be, and for others it may not, they may not uh, hear it and gain from that a sense of uh, sensuality, right? So it's kind of subjective in that sense. Um, so Most of the time the wordings would also... The wordings would also dictate the impact that has and whether it's seen as sensual, correct? Yeah. Maybe this is a good time to, it's like some people argue that woman voices our us so when you try to them no they get angry so they get, uh, the the voice of the woman is not aura in and of itself that, that's that's not correct however it would be prohibited for a woman to purposely beautify her voice for non-mahram men in a way that is alluring right uh, I, I I know of I know of someone whose wife many years ago, twenty plus years ago, took this uh, this view that the the voice is aura. And whenever I would call him on the phone, back when we had phones attached to the wall, whenever I would call him on the phone, if his wife answered, she would purposely answer with a gruff voice. Hello. Not quite that gruff, but you know. <laughs> Hello. Very to the point and gruff. Not in her natural voice of, Hello, you know. And that was her interpretation of the issue. Uh, no, it's not a aura in and of itself. However, if uh, people are being attracted to it by the way it naturally sounds and it becomes a fitna, then she should avoid being put in those situations if it becomes an actual fitna. Uh, you know, this it's not so black and white. You know, Imam Madik, for instance, he, his view is that 
if the woman is beautiful by the standards of that society and people, and she's young and alluring in her appearance, she should wear niqab. If she's not seen that way, it's not obligatory on her. That was his view. And it was not a yes or a no view that applies to every single woman. It was, a, it was based on the subjective uh, view that others have towards her, given her age and beauty in that society. So we could say the same with the voice. If the woman is in a place and her voice sounds in such a way that it tends to attract other men and they're drawn to it in a public venue and there seems to be a fitna, then she should avoid that. But in the absence of that, there's, there's no need for her to do that. It's not like she has to muffle her voice or anything of that nature. Wallahu a'lam. Any other questions? There's a question online. Okay. What if you're not sure one of the lyrics are wrong because one line is confusing but the rest of the lyrics are halal? I think you can just Google the title of the song and you'll find the lyrics online. All the lyrics are typed out these days. If you're in doubt, verify. Yeah. All right. I was expecting some more questions. All right. So next week, inshallah, for the eyes. And then with that, we will stop until after Ramadan. Bi'idhanillahi ta'ala. Wa sallallahu wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam.